Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. A few weeks ago, Ray and I had a rough spot in our parenting. Uh, The kids had been sick. Our almost five-year-old was deciding that she didn't want to nap anymore, which made her a huge butthead in the afternoon. Our 17-month-old was getting her molars, so she was waking up four to five times a night. And the goal of our evenings and our weekends was just simply survival. Like, how do we get through this afternoon? How do we get through this day and get them to bedtime so we can have a few moments of peace and quiet before the 17-month-old starts waking up again? To make matters worse, Elise is at an age where she is majorly pushing boundaries and she's starting to get sneaky. Last week, I was cleaning up my office and I noticed that there was trash behind my chair. And so I pulled the chair out of the corner and I picked up a multiple week old croissant. And I knew exactly how it got there. Every Friday we do dad day, I get her Starbucks, I bring her to the office. But sometime in the past, a few weeks ago, it was like a rock, so multiple weeks ago, she decided that she wasn't gonna eat it. And so she knows the rules, you have to eat your croissant, your breakfast before you can get a snack. And so I went into the room, I said, are you done with your snack? She said, yes, so I gave her popcorn. Well, it was hidden behind the chair. Getting, this is a whole different level for us as parents that we are just not ready for. Ultimately, we're just seeing ourselves and our children, which is terrifying because we know what's going to happen. So when I got home that day, I sat her down and I asked her about it. I was like, hey, Elise, I was cleaning out my office today, and do you know what I found behind my chair? And she looked at me with the saddest eyes. Like she knew. She was like waiting for this conversation to happen. She goes, my croissant. I was like, yeah, baby, I found your croissant. And she goes, daddy are you mad at me? And of course I was mad. Like we grew up in a poor household. We were on school's free lunch plan. We had to eat everything on our plate before we could get down from the table. I have a very vivid memory of sitting at my dining room table in the dark, slowly eating cold tater tots, right? And some of you, you grew up in that household, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I told Elise that I was upset that she lied to me. And the next time we had a dad day at the office, we were gonna skip Starbucks. And then she looked at me and she has these beautiful blue eyes, big blue eyes, and asked, Daddy, can I get a second chance? Don't. Don't feel bad for her, okay? Gosh, guys. Now, before you think that I'm parent of the year, I'm not. I have not taught my kids about second chances. That didn't come from me. But I know that's something that she's learned about back in Collective Kids, and I'm so thankful for it, even though it put me on the spot in that moment. But that question, right, can I get a second chance? Like how many of us wish for the same thing? We've messed up, we've made a mistake, we've hurt someone, and we long for a second chance. Today we're in week three of our series called Half-Hearted, and we're following the story of Jonah, a guy whose story is just like ours. He is just like us. Now here's a quick recap. Jonah was asked by God to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them about God. And so Jonah said no. He got on a boat, he sailed in the opposite direction, but God didn't lose Jonah. He didn't give up on Jonah, he went after Jonah. And the way that God did that was he sent a storm that resulted in Jonah being thrown overboard and swallowed by a big fish. And last week we read Jonah chapter two, which is his time in the fish, it's his experience there. And Jonah realized that he hadn't just been running from God, he'd been running from God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. 
So when he was all but dead, he cried out to God and God saved him. God saved his soul. And then God actually saved him literally because the fish hurled him up on a dry land. And I said this last week, but don't get stuck on the giant fish stuff. I've had some people come up to me and tell me that they don't believe it really happened, that it's a fairy tale or an allegory, and that's fine. I need you all to know that I don't care what you think about the fish. Like literally, I, like, I don't lose any sleep about it at night. This whole series isn't to convince you whether or not the fish was real. This series is to convince you that God loves you, he hasn't abandoned you, and that he can do more with your life than you have ever imagined. And we're gonna continue seeing that today as God gives Jonah a second chance. We're gonna learn that God didn't just save Jonah from drowning, God saved him for a purpose. And I'll just give you the spoiler up front. Maybe he did the same for you. Jonah 3 starts like this. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. So I want to point out a couple things through the first three verses. We could spend the whole time on this. It's so good. But Jonah has been inside of a fish for three days, and then he gets puked up onto the beach. And I did some research. There's actually articles about this. But one scientist said if Jonah could have lived inside of a fish for three days, when he came out, his skin would have been bleached to a non-human color of grayish white, and he would smell, which makes complete sense. The way that I like to think about it is the zombies from season one of Walking Dead, right? They kind of look like people, but they're not. And so that's, that's what I imagine Jonah looks like right now. And because of that, when Jonah heads to Nineveh, you know that he got their attention. Here's the other thing. Look back at verse one. This is really important. Jonah 3.1 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. A second time. So here's my point for today. And this is really the whole thing. So if you want to leave after this, I guess you can. Um, God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. Aren't you glad? Like we have a God who gives second chances. And here's the thing. He doesn't have to be that way, right? God isn't obligated to give anyone a second chance. If you read your Bible, and I highly recommend it, it will make your life and your marriage and your relationships and your self-image better. That's been scientifically proven. But if you read your Bible, as you read it, you will read that the wages, the result, the penalty for our sin, for walking out of alignment with God and from running from God, is death. So God would have been totally justified to punish or condemn Jonah on the spot. Right, I told you to do something, you disobeyed me, you're going to hell, I'm killing you. Right? Like, God totally has the position to do that. And listen, don't pretend like you don't understand that. If you have kids and you've ever told them what to do and they literally did the opposite or they decided to run the complete opposite direction of you, there's a brief moment where you think, I'm going to kill them. Right? Or at least punish them to the fullest extent of your parenting. First service, people are like, we don't do that. So you guys are my favorite service today, okay? <laughs> listen, don't judge us. We've had weak moments. But when you read your Bible, you'll read that the wages of sin is death, but God doesn't want it to get to that point. So he offers us second chances. And that's what Jonah does, or that's what God does for Jonah. Instead of punishing Jonah, God disciplines him. And there's a very big difference there. God disciplines Jonah by sending a storm to redirect him. But God gives Jonah a second chance. And he tells Jonah, I've already told you once and you said no, but because I love you, I'm gonna give you a second chance. Go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah says yes. And here's another thing. I don't know how many times I've read this story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But something I missed was brought to my attention this week. 
God is also giving the people of Nineveh a second chance. Several years before this event, Nineveh had disobeyed God and God allowed another army to come in and capture them, right? Another nation came and swallowed them up and God delivered them when they repented and turned back toward God. But years later, they began to slip back into their old ways. And once again, God sends a message to Nineveh that's very familiar. I told you once and you said no. Now, because I love you, just like I gave Jonah a second chance, I'm going to give you a second chance as well. And as I was studying this story this week, I had this great aha moment of my own. When Jonah screwed up, God sent a specially prepared, uniquely created, very qualified fish at just the right time so that Jonah could be saved. But when the people of Nineveh screwed up their lives, God sent a specially prepared, uniquely created, very qualified person to show up in Nineveh so that they could be saved. That's Jonah. You see everything in chapter one and chapter two that Jonah did right, that Jonah did wrong. The storm, the boat, the crying out to God, all of that kind of stuff, all of that uniquely prepared Jonah for what he was about to do. And here's kind of the second part of this aha moment for me. Doesn't God do stuff like that all the time? Right? Haven't you noticed that in your own life? Looking back over my life, looking out into this room, I know some of your stories. I've heard some of your stories. I've watched them unfold over the past two and a half years. I've seen God use some of the most unlikely people. I've seen God use some of the least qualified, the worst track record, the most I've made some big mistakes and I wouldn't be allowed in another church people. Right? And I've seen God use some people that you would never think could be used by God or anyone else. And I've seen those people and I've seen God use them to reach out, to offer hope and healing to people who are so broken and hurting that they never would have listened to anybody else unless the person offering them hope and healing was being real about their brokenness and saying, hey, you belong here. I think Jonah chapter three should be subtitled that, you belong here. And here's why I think that. God wants Jonah to deliver a very special message to the people of Nineveh. And it's a tough message. We're gonna read it in a few seconds. But the reason that anybody is going to listen to Jonah is not because he smells. It's not because they think he might be a zombie. It's certainly not because he's a religious expert sent from God to tell sinners what they're doing wrong. It's because this is the message from Jonah's mouth. Here's, what's God, here's what God's saying to you. And let me tell you my story. Because you might wanna pay attention to what God is asking you to do right now. And I think that as Jonah tells his story, if anyone pushes back and says, yeah, but you don't know what I've done, I think Jonah can look at them and say, is that it? Is that all you've got? Because I can go sin for sin with you on that one. And I think if anyone looks at Jonah and says, my life is too messed up, I've made too many mistakes, God should give up on me, I'm too far gone, I think Jonah's response would probably have been to roll his eyes and shout, look at me. Look at me. I spent three days in a fish. Do you smell that? Right? I hear you, I get it, but I've been there. I've done it. I was on my way to getting what I deserved because I ran from God. I should have been dead, but at my lowest moment, right before it was all too late, God helped me and he'll do the same for you. And listen, I, I'm not saying if you haven't screwed up your life, you can't help somebody. But speaking as a person who has screwed up, screwed up their lives several times, the person who has been where I've been and done what I've done and felt what I've felt and lived through it all to tell about it, that is the person I need to hear from, right? That person has my attention because they understand. I'll give you a few examples. So I try to preach about 42 times a year, and then we'll have guest speakers come in for 10 Sundays. 
And when we first started Collective, I would take those Sundays and I would try to go somewhere else. Like I'd go to another church, a local or even further away, or we'd go out of town and we'd make sure to find a church while we were out of town. But last year, I didn't do that. I didn't preach 10 Sundays, but I was here for all of them but two. And of course, like the people that are part of the team here, they tease me about it. My staff harasses me about it. But here's why I did that. I don't want to go to another church on Sunday because I've done that before and I've gone home mad. One time I was listening to a pastor teach on marriage and for this week he was talking about conflict in marriage and he began to share about a fight that he and his wife had. He started his story by saying, the last real fight we had was about 10 years ago and I checked out. 10 years ago, how about 10 hours ago? Because just last night I overreacted to insecurities that I have that I can't seem to get over and took it out of my wife. 10 years ago, come on. Another time I heard a pastor start his sermon by saying, I would like to talk to you about the idea that life is hard. And of course, immediately I'm like, I'm leaning in because I feel that. And then he said, the hardest thing in my life right now is the other night our oven overheated and my wife burned my dinner. And I thought, seriously, like, like, seriously, you're going to talk about how life hard can be, and that's your point of connection. You had a bad baking experience. Bless your heart. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think about the people that go to Collective and what they're going through and how a bad baking experience pales in comparison to the couple who's trying to rebu rebuild trust after a spouse was unfaithful or the people who are trying to figure out how to celebrate their friends having kids when they can't have kids of their own. Or the people who are a few months sober but spent the entire night trying not to grab their keys and head to a liquor store because they had a rough week. And listen, I'm not saying that every church needs to be like collective. Like this church is a special kind of crazy. But even with Jesus, one of the things that helps me connect with him is that he at least admitted he had been tempted in all the same, way, same ways that I am. And I remember listening to these pastors and thinking, you have no idea what my life is like. You don't understand anything and you have nothing to offer me that could help me. Or at least you're not being honest enough about your brokenness to help me. Now, not always, but most of the time, if someone is going to try to speak into the really tender, really sensitive, really guarded parts of my life, I need to know that they understand what real life looks like rather than just yelling advice at me about what I should do better. If I am drowning, before I listen to you, I need to know that you know what it feels like to have the water closing over your head. Right? Six weeks in a collective, I preached a sermon called God for the Broken. And for two years, it was our most viewed sermon ever on YouTube. And today it's actually still in the top 10. And while writing the sermon, I reached out to our team and asked them to share about their brokenness. And to be honest, I only really expected a few people to respond. So I texted some friends ahead of time in the group and like, please respond so somebody actually does. But over the next two weeks, over 30 people shared some of the stuff they've been through. And they shared about infertility, the loss of loved ones, physical and sexual abuse, abandonment, PTSD, anxiety, suicide attempts, and addiction. And during my sermon that week, I read every single word that our team shared. And to say it was a heavy moment would be an understatement. And the reason why I did this is because we wanted people to know upfront in this new church that was just getting started that this is a church full of lost and broken people. Not just sitting in the seats, but people serving on Sundays, people standing on stage, people with microphones, people leading groups. And some people that week left Collective and they never came back. It was too heavy, it was too real, it was too honest. 
And we were a brand new church at the time. A lot of you are still here. You were there that Sunday and you didn't know what to expect from us and we didn't know what to expect from you. But at that moment, we knew that collective was gonna be all right because the people that stuck around realized that we're in this together, that life is hard for all of us and we can be real about that and not try to pretend that something is different. And a lot of people, especially Christians, get all locked up thinking their past experiences have disqualified them from being used by God. This is why a lot of Christians put on a Jesus happy face and try to act like everything's okay when it's not. But how about this? Why don't we just be honest, right? And realize that your past experiences may be what actually qualifies you to be used by God to help some other people. Right? And I think that keeping it real and being honest and creating a culture of you belong here is a lot of the reasons why people feel comfortable and safe coming to collective. But I think it's also one of the reasons why people listened and paid attention to Jonah. Right? Rather than throwing him out, he used his second chance to walk into Nineveh and say something hard. This is what happened. On the, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. In other words, he's bringing this much. He's saying, hey, God's trying to tell you something. And if you don't listen to him, if you keep running from him, if you don't make some changes in your life, you're going to lose everything. And Jonah's saying, hey, take it from me. I know, I've been there. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. This was an ancient way of publicly apologizing, of repenting, of turning toward God. So this whole entire nation saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wanna change my life. And what's cool about this story is it wasn't just average people in the city because it actually went all the way up to the top. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. And then he issues a proclamation in Nineveh. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. Say, not just the people, don't even let the dogs eat, because here's what I want everyone to do. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn, their, turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? He's saying, who knows? Maybe this will work. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. You got to remember, this king is speaking from experience. He's seen God spare them before, and he's praying, maybe God will do it again. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. He had compassion. God loved them. And just like Jonah, and this time because of Jonah, they were given a second chance, and they took it. And so there's two applications for today. And they both fall under this big picture of God is a God of second chances. But here's the first application, the first thing for you to take home. God can redeem your past brokenness. What has happened in your life that makes you feel disqualified, right? You've realized I did this, I made this mistake, I ran from God, this thing happened to me, I struggled with this. And because of that, you feel like you're probably not qualified, right? You believe you are disqualified from ever being used by God to do anything good or important in your life. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God can work every detail in our lives into something good if we let him. God can redeem all things, all things. 
good things and bad things, past things and present things, your fault things or somebody else's fault things. God can redeem your past brokenness for something good in your life and maybe someone else's. Let me say it like this. Is it possible that God wants to take the thing that you think ruined your life, right? The thing that happened to you, the thing that you believe disqualified you from doing something important in the world and use it to prepare you to be the fish to rescue somebody from drowning, right? God is the one who's gonna be doing all the saving. But if God wants to use your life and your story and your experiences and your brokenness and what you've been through and use you to save somebody else as they go through the middle of their storm, Listen, I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying at all that that means everything that has happened in your life was God's plan all along. That God meant for you to be abused or God meant for your husband to have an affair or God meant for your wife to walk out on you or God meant for you to get sick. That's not what I'm saying at all. And the truth is that's lazy theology because pain wasn't a part of God's plan. When God created the world, pain and brokenness were not a part of it. We screwed that up. Adam and Eve screwed that up. Our sin brought brokenness and pain into the world. That wasn't what God wanted for us. God's hope for us was that we never would have to go through or experience any of the brokenness that we experience every single day. But what I'm saying is that God doesn't want anything that you've gone through to be wasted, where you just have to write off 10 years of your life as part of life, something that happened. He wants to use it. He wants to redeem it. God wants to bring value to your brokenness. He wants to take the worst thing that has ever happened to you in your life and use it for something good. You see, Jonah was saved for a reason, right? He was saved for a reason. Otherwise, God should have just killed him in the fish and taken him to heaven, right? When Jonah repented, when he finally turned toward God, when he said, yes, like, give me your grace. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. God should have snapped his fingers and boom, heaven, right? And to be honest, that's probably what God should do with us, Right? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, boom, get out of here before you screw it all up because I know you're going to. But he left Jonah for a reason. So my question is, what if he left you here for some reason? What if there's a reason why you're still here? Because if you're being honest, you shouldn't be here. What if there's a reason why your marriage is still together? Because you've watched other people in your life who fell apart with worse things and things that are similar to what you're going through. What if you're in recovery and you think, I shouldn't even be alive right now? What if there's a reason you're still here? What if there's a reason that you survived what you've been through? Because the truth is, a lot of people can't make it through those things. And once again, I, I don't know what that is for you. I can't answer that for you. You have to figure that out with God. But I will say this. I bet you know. I bet you're sitting here and thinking, I hope it's not that thing. It's probably that thing. God can redeem your past brokenness. He did it for Jonah, and he wants to do the same thing for you, you if you'll let him. Here's the second thing. God is calling you back to him. And this is for those of us living in Nineveh, and here's what I mean by that. We know who we are because we're the people who have screwed up in the past, right? We've done some things that resulted in some really stormy seas, some really bad shipwrecks that didn't just impact us but fell on other people, Right? Our mistakes have caused a lot of people a lot of pain. And right after it happened, we swore we would never do it again. Right? We said this was the last time, we're changing our ways, and we did for a while. Right? We gave it our best shot, and we changed our life. But lately, we're starting to do the same things again, the same old, dumb stuff again. We're going down the same path, and God is calling us back to him. And isn't it true 
that if you look back over the past few days or weeks of your life, God has been moving in your life. Like if you've actually been spending time with God, if you've actually been trying to be here on Sunday mornings, if you've actually been trying to pray or listen or read your Bible, isn't it true that you can see God moving in your life? But you have to be honest with yourself because a lot of us, God is nudging us. He's been trying to tell us to pay attention, right? To turn around before it's too late. In other words, God doesn't have to give us another chance. He's already given us one chance, but because he loves us, he's going to give us a second chance. And the truth is another second chance and another second chance so that we can pay attention and make some changes in our life before it's too late again. And I'm not talking about being too late to be forgiven. You're never too late to be forgiven. But how about this? Jonah's message from God to Nineveh was, this is your last warning And unless you turn back to God in 40 days, you're going to lose everything. So what if the message God has for you today is this? I have tried and I've tried and I've tried. I've run after you. I've reached out to you. And I'm trying to get you to see and understand what's at stake. I'm trying to get you to see how much of your life hangs in the balance. But you keep on running from me when you should be running to me. So this is your second chance, but this is your last warning If things don't change, if you continue to try to live your life without me, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to lose your marriage. You're going to destroy your family. You're going to break your kid's heart again. You're going to fall off the wagon again. You're going to end up in jail. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose everything. But the good news is that doesn't have to happen. You don't have to lose all of those things. You don't have to lose everything. And just like to the people of Nineveh, God's saying, I'm running after you again. I'm reaching out to you again. And if you want things to be saved again, things have to change. You have to come back to me. So here are two very hard and very simple applications. Two choices that you're left with, two deals on the table, two ways to walk out of this room today. And here they are. Whether you have made mistakes in the past and think you are disqualified, you are wrong. You are not. God is a God of second chances and he wants to redeem your past brokenness and use your life and your storms for something good. The question is, are you willing to let him do that? You don't have to. You're completely allowed to keep running and swimming in the other direction. The second deal is this, whether you're making or starting to make the same old mistakes again and you're on your way to blowing up your life again and you're thinking this time, I'm sure it's too late. God won't forgive me again. I'm completely positive that I've run too far you're wrong. It's not too late. And God hasn't given up on you because God is a God of second chances and he's calling you back to him. But it's time to turn around and go back. Come back to where you belong before it's too late and you lose everything. So God is a God of second chances. He's offering that to you today. The question is, are you going to take it? Let's pray. God, if we're being honest um, with ourselves and with you, um, we've messed up a lot. Um, God, we sin a lot. We run from you a lot. Um, We trust ourselves over you a lot. Um, God, a lot of the times we've brought this brokenness on ourselves. Sometimes it's other people. But God, either way, we're at a point in our life where we struggle to believe that we can be worth anything. God, that anything good can come from our pain or anything good can come from our past. But God, we read this story about Jonah. God, we see it in the people in our lives. We see it in the people in this church. 
where you have taken the most messed up and broken people and you somehow managed to make good things come from that. God, you somehow managed to offer hope to other broken people. God, you somehow managed an opportunity for people to say, hey, this is my story. You're broken, I'm broken, let's do this together. But God, that only comes when we say yes to the second chances that you offer. So God, I pray today, wherever everybody's at, whether it's dealing with the brokenness of their past or they're currently on the trajectory of screwing things up again in the future, God, I pray we take you up on that offer for a second chance. God, I pray we turn back toward you. God, that we repent, we cry out to you. God, ultimately, I pray that we say yes to the grace and mercy and love that you're offering us, even in our lowest moments. And God, we're just so thankful that we even have the opportunity to say yes to that. God, that for some reason in everything that we've done in our lives and every moment we've pushed you away and every moment we've ran from you, you're still there. You don't leave us. In fact, God, we know that you're chasing after us. God, help us turn toward you this week. God, help us turn toward your hope and your grace and your second chances. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.